All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. Today, we have Glenn Ford with us. Glenn Ford, he put together a Kickstarter called Moonflight, and prior to that, had a Kickstarter called SSO. Hey, Glenn, how are you today? Hi, Wes. I'm doing good. Excellent. And and I had actually had a chance to speak with you before, Glenn, when we did your playthrough video on YouTube on Tabletop Simulator. So it's the second time I've had a chance to kind of interview you. Uh, but this time it's for a podcast, so it's cool to be able to connect again. Yeah, no, no, it was uh, really, uh, for people who don't know, Wes is uh, happy to take a pop at putting together a tabletop simulator pe- uh, for people. And Wes did that for our Moonflight campaign. So it was really handy to have something for people to be able to try out the game uh, ahead of purchase for us. So Cool, thanks for that. It's one of, one of my favorite things to do is just to be able to visualize a game when it doesn't exist yet. And it was cool to be able to do that for Moonflight. So when we talk about Moonflight, I'm just going to recap how your Kickstarter performed and then we'll get into some questions about it because the audience that we have is really geared towards creating their own games or just learning about what happened in a Kickstarter process. So sure. uh, Moonflight is by Mano Kent Games, which is the name of your company. And it was mm-hmm. produced by Longback Games, and I believe it's going to be shipping sometime in May. We can go over that in a bit here, but it's a one to four player game. It takes 45 to 90 minutes. And in your campaign, you had a goal of $8,900. I'm just going by US figures, and you ended up raising over $18,000. So over double the goal, which is fantastic, 181%. Mm-hmm. And um, just need to see that you had, a, I'm trying to look, oh, over 400 backers as well. So we'll yeah, get into yeah. some of those details. So just really cool to see what you launched there and Mm -hmm. one of the first questions i like to ask creators glenn is what made you decide that kickstarter was the route for you to take especially since you've done it before what made you decide to choose it again um well uh originally um i got into designing games working on uh gaslands the uh the tabletop miniatures game from osprey um i got involved with that because the 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 designer of it uh mike hutchinson is is local to me is is part of my local club um and after going around some conventions meeting some people i decided to uh do sso as my own project and i was actually going to uh produce it out of savings basically uh and put it out on my own and it was mike who actually said uh why not just try kickstarter um i wasn't a a big kickstarter person i knew of it i i I didn't particularly sort of dabble in it too much um i did some research looked into it uh went through it with sso and mostly what it is for me is that i could possibly put a game out at the moment without kickstarter what I couldn't do is put out the next game as quickly without Kickstarter. Um, yeah, it, it it just it gives me the ability to cover the the, the costs of launching the game. So uh, the moment I'm finished with the Kickstarter, that game is now sort of making its own making its own money, making its profit. Um, whereas without of it, I would need to have at least six months maybe a year of selling that game for it to cover its costs before i could launch the next thing uh, and the thing after that um so yeah for me kickstarter is it's it's great for the game it's being launched but it's really it's what allows me to launch the game afterwards 
within uh, within a year or two rather than having to wait for a small uh, independent like me it would probably be three or four years for the next game so yeah, yeah. That, that that's the main reason that i i'm going back to kickstarter and 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 foresee to be doing that for for quite a while i should think yeah i know that i know that originally it was considered as a way to just kickstart your first project but um, it really isn't enough in the board game industry to just kickstart one game because you don't actually make any money or or much money, I guess you could say, depending on your campaign, unless you get into those huge echelons at some like Simon or Stonemeyer back in the day. Um, and so, so you had a funding goal of just 8,900. And like I said, you had 181% to plan. Did that mm-hmm. actually end up making you um, profitable or did you find that you still ha- are in the red a bit until you sell some more copies of the game? I don't, it's it's that just about got us into into some profit. I think uh, I think uh, on paper that put us to a point where about two thousand pounds in profit, roughly. Um, it's it's yeah. tricky because we're already paying the artists for the 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 project after the next project um and that's all sort of in the business account but i i yeah i think that put us roughly uh about one two thousand pounds in profit in the end so yeah just just about yeah no it was it, it was fantastic i mean we weren't i i i i i plan the goal of a kickstarter with the intention of covering all of the costs from the moment that I hit launch on the Kickstarter button to the point where all the backers have got their rewards. That's what uh, that that's how I budget my goals on Kickstarter. So the intention of them isn't to isn't even to break even on the whole project. It's to make yeah. sure that the Kickstarter itself isn't going to be able to cost it isn't going to cost me money by virtue of launching it and then if it goes higher than that it's going to cover the costs of artwork and uh, and putting all those things together and then further than that is when the the possibility of hitting some profit with it goes yeah and kind of just out of curiosity because different manufacturers allow you to produce at different uh, quantities and you went with did i say long pack games yeah yeah long pack yeah yeah so did they did they let you have a 500 moq or did you end up having to do a minimum of thousand print run um that's uh it's funny you um, asked that actually because i've just gotten in uh, a quotation for the next sort of uh games i intend to do with them long pack had been uh on sso and moonflight quoting uh, a thousand minimum and yeah. in, interestingly, not giving price breaks on larger quantities. Um, mm. But on my on my most recent quotation, they've given a, a thousand minimum still, but a fifteen hundred and two thousand uh, additional units with price breaks on the on the five hundreds above that. So I don't know if that's because I'm onto my third project with them, or because that's a, a policy change that they've sort of uh gone into but yeah no i was it was a thousand minimum um from from long pack for both sso and and moonflight um and i i have met other creators who uh have taught them that were 
were quoted a 1500 minimum and actually the the long pack said they wouldn't go lower than that for them so i don't know if i was just lucky on my original quote with them but i can't i can't talk to other people's situation there so yeah and, and you you may have had experience did you end up having experience with long packs through gaslands or did you just end up finding them on your own um i i found them on my own so when i w- originally went for the sso quotes um i suppose i was in the situation that a lot of people are where i was searching around the internet just trying to essentially email cold anybody who sort of put themselves out there as a, a games manufacturer um when i went up for sso i think i emailed six I'd say seven or eight different companies. Uh, I okay. think I got actual quotes back from three. Um, yeah. And uh, long pack were by away the the. So I mean, Panda Games are brilliant for coming back with quotations, and and I think you know a lot of people will say they're the sort of the premium end of the market. Um, but until I think we were looking at five or six thousand units they were more expensive than long pack um yeah and uh and i think the other company who came back to me was a european company who by virtue of that were a lot more expensive and that's that's why i went with long pack for sso um it's one of the it's it's a funny situation to be in when you're launching your first game you're sort of hunting down the manufacturers and trying to find them once you've had a successful Kickstarter, you'll find that it that the situation turns around a little bit. I think I've got um eight quotes for uh for the next game uh from companies who were emailing me and trying to contact me and <laughs> uh yeah so uh, but you know they it, it I don't know why so many companies are so reluctant to actually respond on on quotation requests when that's what they're they're meant to be set up for um. But yeah, so I we 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 printed with long pack for SSO. I had a great experience with them. Um, uh, they they were you know quick and efficient on on emails and responses. Uh, the quality of the game was you know uh, was great. And so we went around a little bit for the Moonflight quotes. Um, but to be honest, as soon as uh, long pack put in a quote that was doable. Uh, I was more than happy to go back to them. Um, I think that sort of the reliability, particularly uh, on a previous relationship, you know, we we went through with them, we we paid, we printed, we got the product. That's that's a huge thing, I think, for 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 setting something up uh, like this up. Yeah, and each manufacturer has different templates that they use for cards and different um, factors for payment. So it is good to have a repeat use if you have somebody reliable that is kind of in your cost range. I know for my experience, um, I'm looking at different quotes for my next game just based on the experience I had with my most recent game. And you never know, I may go back to the the one I went with last time, but it doesn't hurt, just like you did, to kind of shop around and see, is there a better deal out there? Is there a different... Um, options for scaling for price and mm. then you can make a, a sound decision instead of just going with the one person over and over without looking around because loyalty is only so good in business right you gotta look at the bottom yeah. line as well yeah yeah i mean the uh, uh the the projects i'm looking for quoting now i i am in a i i've just gotten in sort of the set of quotes and i'm in that position of 
uh, unless I get to uh, a certain number of products, long pack is a little bit pricier this time. Um, so I am sort of in the middle of the dilemma of deciding whether to go with somebody that I know or take a chance with another company that has a lower quote. But that's that's part of the yeah. research of looking up all those other companies, seeing what other things they worked on. I mean, one of the things that when I originally went with Longpack was that that I knew uh, some of the games that they'd worked on previously. Um, so did things like King Domino, um, you know, games that I had seen that I knew that they could could work to a certain quality. And I think that's an important part of uh looking at manufacturers finding out what they've worked on previously you know have you have you held something in your hands that they've printed um yeah take a look how you phrase that and that, that's uh something i just did as well i bought a game just for the prospect of seeing the quality of the manufacturer i was looking into so i like how you say that that you should be able to hold it in your hands and then you'll know for sure yeah yeah there's a there's a game called uh, Panic Mansion that Longpack uh, printed, and it's 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 a it's a cute game. It's a dexterity game, but it has a massive massive ton of meeples in it um, because it's a game about tipping boxes around with the meeples in like a sort of slidey puzzle. And I came yeah. across that uh, a couple of weeks ago in a store. Um, sort of uh, reduced price, and I picked it up purely because. I'm planning on printing a whole bunch of meeples in uh, the 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 in in a, in a project or two's time. Um, so I, I picked it up largely to get a whole handful of meeples made by Longpack Games. So yeah, it's, awesome. it's, yeah, it's worth it, it's worth picking and picking things up for a, a little bit of research. You know, start looking at the games that you've got, see who printed them, where they came from. You know those. Not every manufacturer um, uh, puts themselves sort of front and center on boxes, but usually can dig through, find out who made it and start. Yeah, I'd start taking a hard look at components. I think if you're thinking of going into this, start worrying about what GSM means and the difference between a, a, a blue core card and a ivory core card and and all those sorts of things. Yeah, you got to have all those details worked out because you'll get asked those questions in Kickstarter comments as well. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to dig into is your uh, stretch goal. So you did hit 180%, and usually there's an expectation after a certain amount of funding to do stretch goals. And I mm. think you guys hit your main goal at about 20 days in, so you didn't have a ton of time to play with stretch goals, but you still managed to unlock seven of them. So what kind yeah. of stretch goals did you use, and how did your backers feel about those? Uh, so uh, one of the early stretch goals, and there's uh, there's a certain amount of this which is sort of uh, a, a personal thing. Uh, I decided to do a magnet catch box as one of the early stretch goals, and that's largely because I those are great boxes. Yeah, I I really like magnet catches, uh, and I just I wanted to have one uh, on a game that I made, and I will say. They're, they're expensive. They are, I would say, shockingly expensive for for what is a relatively minor sort of deluxe feature. Um, I had originally uh, planned the campaign to have the magnet catch in as a, a, from the get go. Um, I think it, a few people, actually yourself included, Wes, said that 
the goal that I would have needed to do that was quite a high goal for a, a cards only game. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I went back to uh, the quote based on not having the magnet catch. And then the, the first stretch goal was to get to the level where we could do the magnet catch. So that, that was an entirely personal thing. Um, yeah. One stretch goal that, the, the, uh, that was quite nice is that we decided to put in uh, a coin f- for the first player marker where it's sort of uh, a medallion um and we were intending to start with it as a plastic version and then upgrade to a metal version depending on the stretch goals and the the stretch uh, that was a i suppose you'd call it a, a sort of social media stretch goal so we put up a series of um riddles so the idea of Moonflight is that it's uh, a sort of fairy town presided over the sort of mysterious Jack figures. And each Jack, um, once a week throughout the campaign, put up a riddle written from their perspective um, that resulted in a number code. Um, once you had all of the riddles of all of the Jacks, you could type in that number code to a web address on our website, which had a few uh, sort of little Easter eggs and bits and pieces about the game. And if enough people visited that page, um, we would unlock the the the, the coin upgrade. Um, right. As in, it was an interesting one for a couple of reasons. I mean, I I would strongly suggest people do something like that so that you have set uh, updates that you can put out to people at set points in the campaign whether or not things are going great guns or there's things being unlocked or people are talking about things it just meant that um once a week throughout the campaign we knew we were putting out that riddle update we knew we were going to get a little bump in comments where people talked about you know oh is it this is it that you know that it got people sort of communicating with each other um and, and that was something I found really handy with Moonflight over SSO, where uh, there, there was just something to to fuel things and feed things. Um, and it's also interesting because we were intending on doing the plastic coin at a lower number of hits and then the metal coin at a higher number. And from back of feedback, people were were concerned about putting unnecessary plastic uh, into the game. So oh, we... Yeah essentially split the difference we we said okay instead of being i think it was something like uh, just a uh, hundred hits for the plastic and then 500 for the metal we said when we get to 300 hits we'll go straight to the metal coin um so that that was a little something that came back came through from a little bit of back of feedback i mean i well, was that's, always that's kind of funny coming from kickstarter because kickstarter thrives on plastic heavy board games it's really funny that they were arguing about a metal coin <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it was it was both um, it was both interesting and and sort of in a way really nice um, and really weird. Um, it, it was it was nice that the that the backers were were that involved that cared to say, you know, look, if we if there's a metal option, you know, I don't want to risk getting the plastic one, not because I don't think the plastic one is is high enough. 
um, quality or something, but because I don't want to be, you know, to be involved with unnecessarily producing extra plastic. But yeah, it was yeah. to me, uh, yeah, it, it, it was odd that Kickstarter feels like this thing that is where plastic is king and, and the more plastic you can jam into the box, the happier people are. And I had a, a, a yes, a little corner of that market that was saying, no, we, 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 we think plastic is a bad thing. So it is... Yeah. It's yeah, it's. Into, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been wondering for a little while about how much um, environmentalism uh, is going to matter on on Kickstarter campaigns, and I, I don't know if you've currently got uh, a campaign editing at the moment, but literally, I, I don't know when they put it up because I've, I, I've, I've sort of halfway through editing a, a campaign page at the moment there is now a section for um ticking boxes and filling out comments on the environmental impact of your game on kickstarter um so that's that's definitely new from moonfly and i'm pretty sure it's new from when i started working on the current campaign page that i'm working on there's there's now yeah, a little yeah there's there's now a little uh, a little thing built into Kickstarter campaigns for you to tell people about the environmental impact of your game, where you're you're trying to make improvements, the sustainability of it. So I think that is something that I think it's something we're going to see more and more of in the future. the The board game hobby, I think, is is a little bit, if I'm honest, behind on it still at the moment. Um, I think if you ever get into a debate over the pros and cons of cellophane on Board Game Geek, you'll quickly see some some very hardcore support of single-use plastic, which is is increasingly seeming like a, a, a an odd viewpoint these days. But I think we'll have to see. I mean, I know that uh, Ravensburger have have officially moved away from having any cellophane in their in their packaging so yeah and I, I, on yeah and i think i think for creators like us it's still we're still at the mercy of the of the manufacturers uh and the factories um and i think i've uh a creator that i i follow um has uh recently launched a game where he's printing in europe in order to be able to make a, a game without any cellophane packaging um I think it's still if you're printing in China, I think you're going to have a hard time not having some cellophane in there. But I, I would imagine that that's going to move as the market shifts on that. Yeah, I, I believe you were very correct there. So, I mean, um, mm. as time progresses, everything changes. And that's just one of the many factors, the mm. environmental impact. And um, just if one company starts to do it, that's high level. They're kind of lead the charge. Others could follow. Mm. Yeah. Um, your, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just, you know, uh, we, we were able to uh, ensure that all the packaging on the on the delivery was um, was entirely environmentally friendly. And I think that's something to look out for um, when you're sourcing a fulfillment company is do check to see that they, because there's there's genuinely no need to not have a fulfillment packaging that's totally uh recyclable and and sustainably sourced and it is something that i know that 
the backers can you know it, it, when you when you get a, a small game in a massive box packed out with polystyrene polystyrene peanuts and and things like that it it can annoy people um so that's something that's easily done is to ask a fulfillment company um when you're getting quotes from them is how they package the game um yeah, and to ensure that's sustainably done yeah great now in in your campaign you also have or you had an option there for getting SSO into expansions. And so for some companies, that's a, a profitable thing to do. For other companies, they have to remake games. You actually mm. got 64 pledges, which was, um, I, I don't know what the percentage is there, maybe uh, 25% or something, or 20%. Yeah. Uh, your campaign was with the expansions there. Do you feel that that helped your campaign overall? And did you already have those games available to send separately? Or did you end up having to get the manufacturer to build those? uh yeah no we, we we had uh copies available so i i would i don't think i would have done it if i'd had to manufacture them separately um yeah so i i think i think it was uh, a significant boost um i think that i mean there's a couple of things firstly um we we're we're selling sso on our website um at all times and we saw a, a significant jump in uptake of of orders for sso during the moonflight campaign um so i think there were people going on the moonflight campaign seeing the uh the details about sso looking it up and deciding that moonflight wasn't for them but then going to our website and ordering copies of sso um yeah. so I mean, one of the huge, huge things that, that Kickstarter provides for an independent of our size is just pure advertising. Um, I, I I can't afford to run month-long adverts that, um, that reach as many people as the Kickstarter page do. Um, so offering SSO in Moonflight and the number of people that then came around and just bought SSO offers um the, purely the advertising of doing that was was more than worthwhile um yeah i mean given that we've got the copies of sso um that it it's there's not much of a, a packaging increase for it um it, it was a fairly sort of um simple decision um yeah it gave us a, a fairly significant bump in the project and also you know, SSO is a game, I mean, a, a, any game that I do, I want to sort of be able to extend it and expand it. But SSO particularly is a game that is built to be expanded and to be extended uh, and to sort of be built on. Um, because it was my first game, it was a choice to do something as small and as simple um, and as easy to package and get out there as possible. Um, it was built for expansions. Um, so any extra copies that we get out there is building on the ability to do those expansions the ability to extend that game out because it's sort of widening the the customer customer base for that um so yeah i was yeah very happy um with the result of people picking up sso i was I, personally i was very pleased because we put an option for somebody who who hadn't previously backed or bought SSO to buy SSO and the expansions. Um, but we put an option of a sort of follower of Man of Kent level to get Moonflight and the latest SSO expansion 
uh, on its own, which obviously would be fairly useless unless you'd previously backed um, SSO and followed us. And uh, we we got about 10% of people who backed SSO uh, coming back uh, for for that level. Um, so that was that was just heartening to see that there are there are people who you know uh picked up sso and have followed us long you know sufficiently to want to follow in on the new expansion and uh and 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 keep following the 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 sso journey so um yeah for for us following uh finding out how many people have have come back um how many people are new and yeah and and, and widening the customer base for sso yeah that was that was a, a part of the campaign that I was definitely very happy with. Yeah, it's good to see that um, stuff that you created years ago is still being beneficial to you now. And I know you have another expansion planned, which we'll talk about in a few mm. minutes here. Um, but I was curious about this particular game. So one of the things that I talked to many creators about is how they generate interest and awareness of their game, not only on the campaign site, but also on other sites. And one of the most popular ways to do that is through playtester and previewer and reviewer feedback videos mm. and i noticed that your game the only videos that you decided to put on there were videos that you'd created so what decision point did you have to make to just do it solo and not rely on those audiences that people are used to seeing whether they're paid or unpaid previewers um yeah so we um so we did we we had previews up there um that were um I mean, I'm I I don't have any issue with paid previews. I don't think that there's uh, necessarily a problem with it. Um, I think that they have uh, pros and cons to them. Um, I happen to have never used a paid preview. Um, yeah. It's it's as I say, it's not because I'm against it. It's just it's it's how things have turned out. Um, so if you are, if you are going to go for, um, unpaid, unpaid reviews, previews, depending on, on how you view it, um, you are, you have fewer demands that you can make of the people who are doing the reviews for you. Um, basically, um, the, the, also the people are less likely to be doing it as a full-time job. They're they're less likely to be sort of at your beck and call. Um, so we put out uh, preview copies and print and play copies and and put out a fairly wide call. Um, we had people lined up who were supposed to be doing uh, video reviews for us. They they never came through. Um, they they still haven't come through. Um, and and that is one of the things when you when you decide to go the the completely unpaid route for your reviews, you're going to have to accept that you're you're then going to get back what you get back. I I mean we still we we had um, audio file reviews and we had written reviews, and yeah. I would say it's it's one of the things sometimes where you see campaigns and they've got six different video reviews where it's like I personally i don't happen to be a fan of video reviews i would rather have a uh, a written review it's it's just how i take things in more easily so on the one hand we didn't it's true we didn't have any independent video reviews but we had two different types of 
sort of media reviews and when they had a, a an audio file and we had a written file which meant that in to my mind we actually had sort of a wider range of ways that you could pick the review up than a lot of yeah. the, the 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 campaigns that have put up four five six videos which are I don't I mean I don't know I don't know many people who watch that sixth video um I I I <laughs> I, I, I think that the 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 lack of returns that you get when you go past the fourth video review for the same game, um, it's, it's got you've got to be seriously minimizing your returns on things at that point. Um, uh, yeah, well, yes. I think uh, I think three is probably the magic number, and mm-hmm. um, and what you say is true. People may not watch them on the actual Kickstarter page, but I think a lot of those people have their own audiences on their own YouTube. So what will happen is you may not, they may not watch it on your page, but if they watch it on their YouTube channel, that's going to be what might drive them to your campaign in the first place. So yeah. you can look at it both ways. You still did very well considering that you just had the one audio and the uh, pre-written uh, reviews. So it's, it's inspiring mm-hmm. for new creators that don't have the chance to get their game out there or that had a bad experience. I had a similar experience where I, sent out a game and it just disappeared six weeks later i don't know where it was and i paid a hundred dollars for that prototype so you take yeah. a risk when you send those out here uh, so it's inspiring to see that you can still have success with the format that you chose yeah i mean i as i say i i think a lot of the choices within um within kickstarter are double they, they have pros and cons and they have upsides and downsides um yeah if if you go with a paid video reviewer um they're going to bring their own audience and that audience it, it, it's valuable that's the reason they can afford to charge for their uh their previews and it's and it's worth having um but there are upsides to to unpaid reviews there are there is there is a certain weight that it has to say this person has not been paid on any level for their their opinions i mean in some cases we sent out games but we had reviews from people who had uh printed out uh, a print and play version of the game you know so we had people who essentially if anything were paying money to play the game rather than the other way around um and i and i think that especially when you're you're looking at the price of some or of the video reviewers and i think you need to understand that that is a price for advertising um and that has to be something that you have to think about within your advertising budget if you have one um uh, you know rather than rather than inherently something that's a necessity for your for your campaign and this or a necessity for your game um and and yeah and i think you have to say okay what would what would the comeback have to be from paying this advertising money uh for it to be worth doing it's not yeah it's i i don't think there are many things that that are an inherent necessity on your Kickstarter. And I think you, I think the most important thing is to ask some questions about why you would put a certain thing on versus why you wouldn't, uh, what the strengths and the weaknesses are and not to, not to never just sort of follow the, the standards for a campaign, because that's what everybody says you need. And that's what everybody says that a, a, a campaign requires. I mean, when we went into launching SSO, um, we were told with with some absolute certainty that unless you had a mailing list of a certain set size, 
um, you had no possibility of success on Kickstarter, that unless you launched on a Tuesday, you were a fool. Um, we had... <laughs> We had two people on our SSO mailing list and we launched on a Sunday and SSO went to, um, I think, from memory, 140 percent backed. So, you know, you, not not everything is necessity. There aren't there aren't necessarily hard and fast rules. Um, I, I think that the two most important things for a successful Kickstarter is to have a good game and have a well presented Kickstarter page and everything else is. Uh, is bonuses after that yeah the, the page itself is everything it's what keeps people scrolling or gets people clicking or gets people backing so you're absolutely mm. right about the page i mean bringing mm. a crowd certainly helps if you can get that day mm. one funding but um, you've shown that if through perseverance and the right kind of page and interactions you can get it 20 days later and still get funded which is um one of those fears that i'm not funded on day two i'm not going to fund well you definitely showed ah. that that is not always true so yeah, the 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 idea that if you're not funded on day two, you're not going to fund is something that I I uh, there are few there are very few openly held Kickstarter beliefs that I think is more that are more wrong and and just wrong headed and incorrect um, than than the idea that you need to fund in the first two days or you will not fund. I mean, it, it funnily enough, I I, I was sort of having a bit of this discussion on a on one of Jamie Kickstarter uh, Jamie Stegmeier's Kickstarter posts um and f for the sake of figuring it out I went through and counted all of the Kickstarter campaigns that were running at the time we were having that conversation and roughly half of all the campaigns that backed backed after the first two days uh, at at that given point um so it it just it the statistics don't bear it out um i would i would argue that common sense doesn't bear it out um plenty of campaigns back in days three to 30 35 whatever it happens to be for your campaign um don't yeah. i i i think there's there's few ideas more toxic to a kickstarter creator than the idea that if you haven't backed after the first 48 hours you should be running around like a, a chicken with your head cut off and and panicking and worrying about it you know people people invest significant amounts of money in launching their kickstarters um you know to suggest that if you if you haven't hit your goal in the first 48 hours, you need to bin that money and start over. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I do have a bit of a problem with that. Um, you know, I think that if, if you, if you have wildly undershot, you know, uh, put on a goal that is ridiculously below what you actually need in the expectation that you will fund in the first 48 hours and then have some sort of magical boost from the fact that you've, you funded and therefore hit 300% which is your your actual secret goal then if you haven't funded in the first 48 hours yeah maybe you should be panicking but if you've put up an honest goal that is actually what you really need um then you there is absolutely no, no reason that you shouldn't fund well after the first 48 hours um i you know i i i still think that the the older statistic that if you're on even, you know, 40% after the first two days and you should fund, you should get there. 
Um, and if that, and if your goal is actually the amount of money you actually need, then yeah, you know, then then you should be fine off of that. Yeah, I mean, you, you like you said, you proved it with your campaign, and there's a couple other people I talked to that had some late campaign funding, if you want to use the word late or accurate, mm-hmm. if you want to use it more in your perspective. Um, so well, I do love how you're you're passionate about what you believe, and you definitely have some uh, against the common themes. Uh, thoughts about Kickstarter, and I think that's good for some of the newer creators to see it from a dis- different perspective instead of just the somebody wrote about it once, so it must be true, whether it's launching on a Tuesday or whether it's funding on day two or whether it's having yeah. 17 video reviews. None of those things are necessary. Some of those things help and depends on the size of your campaign, uh, mm. but you, you've proven it, and it's really cool to see. Yeah. That's why I love talking to people of all different ranges of games and formats, because then you get to see yeah. these different perspectives. Yeah, I mean, Obviously, funding on day two is, you know, is better than funding on day 20, but it's it's not a necessity for success. Yeah, and if it was an accurate funding on day two, so if on day two you hit your um, $9,000, you know, that yeah. would have been legitimate already. That's what you're aiming for anyway. But if you, like you said, if you put your goal at 1000 and couldn't possibly make your mm. game at 1000 you're just false advertising yeah. and some fraudulence there, so. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's 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 a very worrying trend I've seen of ca- campaigns that reach their funding goal and then cancel because their funding goal wasn't actually enough money to to make their game. I've I've backed campaigns where where that's happened, and you know I know some people were willing to return for the relaunch, but I would never personally go back to a creator after that happened. I I think that you know in the end Kickstarter is based on trust. And if I say I think I can raise this amount of money in that in this amount of time, and that's the amount of money that I need to produce the game and get it out to you, that's my promise to you as a backer. And if you, you know, your part as the backer is to is to back me and to help me get there. If I get there and I actually say to you, actually, I I I I didn't think that that's how much I could, I thought I could raise way more than that in that time, and that isn't actually the amount of money I needed. Then I I see that as a as a breach of trust from the side of the creator, and I see no reason why in a, a, an area like Kickstarter, which is purely trust based, that's purely about how the backer sees you and 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 see and and has a relationship and a trust with you i i wouldn't think i would have any reason to expect those people to to trust me again when i came back next time and said oh here's here's the actual secret real goal let let's take a second run at this so yeah i i think openness is very important with your backers so yeah that's great to hear from you ben thank you for that perspective 